What up, though? Welcome to a new episode of the Don't Blame Me, Blame Detroit podcast with your boy Brandon Jordan. And I'm here today, and we're going to get right into it because I got a very special guest, uh, one of New York's own. But he's also one of Detroit's own, one of Detroit sports legends, somebody I grew up with watching on TV and getting all my sports information as a kid. <laughs> I want y'all to give a, a warm welcome to the podcast, my guy, Rob Parker. What's up, hey, Rob? What's up? I'm glad you said that. Detroit's own and New York's own. I'm from New York, but as you know, uh, Detroit is my second home, and I spent 20 years there. Uh, it's where my career took off. It's where I got married. It's where I still own a business and a home. And uh, so Detroit's always got a special part in my heart, uh, despite that I wasn't born there. Right. But, uh, you know, I'm very connected. I got so many friends there and so many great memories. And, you know, I live in L.A. now, but still got a 313 phone number. Now, let me ask you now, by, like, you know, you said you wasn't born there because you, you wasn't born there. But you basically grew up there in Detroit. You know what I'm saying? In your adulthood. Right. Do you, My do you professional fit, career. Right. I mean, I got, I got married there. I got divorced there. I mean, like, started a business there, bought a house there. You know what I mean? Like, when you think about the things you go through in life, most of the biggest things that ever happened to me, I, you know, my job at the Free Press as the first black sports columnist the paper ever had, that's monumental. I mean, I, there's no way Detroit's not at the top of when I think of the things that have happened in my life. So do you feel like, do you feel more connected to Detroit or New York? I mean, New York is where I'm from. And, you know, I got plenty of friends there and I was born there. But if, to be honest, if you really want to be honest, mm -hmm. think about it. I was born there, lived there for 18 years until I went away to college, left New York, came back to work, left again, left again, came back. So I've been out of New York more than I've been in New York, if you really add up the years as mm -hmm. far as how old I am. But New York is different. It's just that I was born there. My family's there. But, you know, I grew up and blossomed into the person that I am in Detroit, no doubt. Now, how do you feel How do you feel about the changes the city has been making over the last, what's it been, you know, five, six years now? Like with, down, with the downtown and everything. Because growing up in Detroit, it's different for me when I go back and, and visit the city because growing up, we didn't have a name, a, a, a chain restaurant in the city at one time. We didn't, you know, we didn't have the type of shopping that you that you can endure now. It's just they a lot a of different Gucci things. Store downtown. Are you kidding? They had a, a Gucci store in downtown Detroit. <laughs> they got a Nike outlet in downtown Detroit. Mm -hmm. No, it is even from the time when I first arrived in 1993. That's when I got there. Uh, when I think about the city and, and the advances and what's happened, it's it's monumental. It's great to see. Um, you know, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in the neighborhoods and getting other things together. But you have to have a, a starting point, and you got more people moving into downtown and living downtown than ever before. You got the little tram they have now, or whatever they call light rail mm -hmm. um, things. So the stadium, you know, the Pistons moved from the suburbs. That's only the second time I can remember that happened. It happened when the Cleveland Cavaliers moved from the suburbs back into the city, and then here's the Pistons. 
moving from the suburbs back into the city. So those are all great things. Um, so you, the, the, the feel about Detroit is great and better. And, you know, I just had a 20th anniversary party for my barbershop at the yep. uh, Hollywood, what is it, uh, Hollywood uh, Greek Town Casino. Okay. And it was awesome. I mean, we had a great time. We had 300 people. And it was the, the, the venue and the moment and how it felt, felt like you were in any other big time city. You know what I mean? Really mm-hmm. celebrate. It was great. It was great. Like, I remember uh, when I came back to visit, this is years ago, a couple years ago, when I went, came back to visit, I was driving down Jefferson. And I didn't tell the story before on here, but I'm telling it to you. I was driving down Jefferson and I seen a 7 Eleven. I literally stopped in the middle of the street. And was shocked. I said, huh? And the person I was with, they wasn't from Detroit either. They were from Atlanta. And they looking at me like, it's just 7-Eleven. I said, you know, you just don't understand. <laughs> I have never seen 7-Eleven in Detroit in my life. Right. <laughs> so right. it was just a big, it was, it was a big deal to me, you know, to see that. And so I, I love, I tell people, man, when I go travel, I say, Detroit to me has a top five downtown right now. Um, when you when you compare it to the things to do, because there's not too many major cities in in the U.S. that has three major casinos. Well, that's true. There's no doubt about it. All that's three, true. all three major sports teams, and with the new restaurants and bars and stuff, it's just so much. To, I feel like to really to get down to do things with down there. I go to some of the downtowns. I'd be like, "Man, Detroit is is a rival to to, to y'all right now." Yeah, no, 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 definitely. I I can remember um, when I used to cover the Knicks for the Daily News in New York, and this was in the um, this was in the late eighties. And I remember me and my two other friends who were writers who covered the team. We were leaving from the airport, driving past Detroit, and heading up to. Uh, the uh, Troy Marriott, right? Where that's where we used to stay, the Troy mm-hmm. Marriott, in order to stay to go to the games at the Palace. So we were driving on 75 or something, going past the city, and I swear to you, out of nowhere, because we had never been to really Detroit, because mm-hmm. we'd always just go from Metro straight past the city and go up to Troy and then to Auburn Hills. And, and out of nowhere, I just said to the other two guys in the car, the other writers, I was like, Dude, I would never want to live here. Oh, my God. I just Can you imagine me saying that out of the blue? No one even said anything to me. I went from that to taking the job as a columnist for the free press, which I was thrilled to get, and then, you know, laying a foundation with businesses. You know, at one time, me and my partner, Tico Edwards, we had five businesses and commercial properties all around the city, and... Um, and to think that I went from saying I would never want to be there to all the things that I wound up doing and investing. All my properties were in the city limits. No, and that's all I wanted, to, I wanted to, to touch on that, too, because you get a lot of people that, that come to, to different cities, you know, and we and right now we're just going to we can focus on Detroit. They come to different cities and, and they come to Detroit and they will, you know, get a celebrity, you know, get their career going. But it seemed, but publicly it just seems like they don't never do anything for the city. But you really, you came into the city and you really gave opportunities to people within the city limits. Um, just starting off with the barbershop. 
you you know you have one of the most iconic barbershops because it's, it's been there for the longest and a lot of people come through your barbershop like what was uh, what made you you know pick that decision to open up a barbershop in the middle of Detroit I'm just you know I'm from New York and and there's all kinds you know I'm from Jamaica Queens and that's the outer boroughs it's not Manhattan it's not glitzy it's the it's a neighborhood you know it, Jamaica is a is a neighborhood, a big neighborhood in Queens that's that, that black mostly black people live in, and I just I've never been afraid of being around my own people or it's got to be an upscale shop somewhere in the suburbs to feel good or comfortable. I was always comfortable, and I, the guy who was cutting my hair at the Buzz on Six Mile, Tico Edwards, is the one we were talking one day, and he wanted to go, you know open his own barbershop. I wanted to open my own barbershop. So we talked about it. We found a building and we bought it. And that's how we really got started. So I'm always a man of the people. I, I, I'm always around. I'm, I'm hanging out around the city. That's just who I am. I'm just wherever it is. If I'm going to Southfield, if I'm going to Birmingham, is okay. That's good too. But I'm not afraid to hang out and do things in the city. And that's where I feel comfortable. So our barbershop, 20 years, people know it. I mean, we had Larry Brown come to the barbershop in 2005. Think about that. The year after they won the championship. LB on Seven Mile Road, mm-hmm. hanging out, talking basketball. <laughs> Steve Mariucci came to the shop. Hello? Yeah. Another barbershop in Detroit. Had a head coach. Not a former head coach. He had a coach of the team that at the time he came. Yep. Both of them. So we did stuff like that. We used to give out tickets to games, a lot of engagement. We've been very fortunate because our uh, uh, customers have been very good to us. They appreciate us uh, giving them uh, a comfortable, quality place to get a haircut, not trying to rob them on prices. The place is clean. It's nice. If you ever check it out, Seven Mile Road between Outer Drive and Myers mm-hmm. and uh, Small Sporty Cuts. And it's, it's really... I'm not just saying this. We did a remodel for our 20th anniversary. And without even seeing all the other barbershops, best-looking barbershop in the city of Detroit. It okay. is absolutely beautiful. Okay. Yeah, I'm, uh, shout out to um, and RIP to my big brother. Uh, Kool-Aid used to, be, uh, used to come through your shop. Uh, uh, used to come through your shop. Is that right? Yeah. He used to come, come through there. But uh, so let, let's, let's, I want to switch it out to, to sports. And now we gonna we, we gonna have this this disagreement, and I know I'm not trying to get into that argument because we can be, we can spend all day talking about it, going back and forth. But you know, you know, I'm a huge Kobe Bryant fan. Mm-hmm. Kobe Bryant is my man. To me, he's the goat, and nothing can change my mind about that. But I wanted to ask you this because I know that for a long time he had he's really never been a super media favorite. But this is the question I wanted to ask you. Do you think if he never would have got into the situation in Denver, would he would have been looked differently when it comes to the argument of best of one of the best of, uh, the best of all time or the way that the media looks at him? Is it just based off that situation or is it other factors? It has nothing to do with that. It's just it's a different time. If that happened now, it would be different. 
But back then, if you remember, the team used to let him fly the team plane back and forth to the trial. Mm-hmm. So, so he, he wouldn't get suspended. If you do that now, you probably are suspended by the team until it gets, you know, taken care of or the trial. It would your team would never ever let their let their star player use their plane and and travel. It would be totally different. So, no, that's not the reason. The reason is that on a he played on a team with Shaquille O'Neal who was the most dominant player during that time. And it doesn't mean that Kobe was a bomb or he, but Shaq was the most dominant player in the league. It's just a fact. And when you have two great players like that, you're always, that's why they didn't win a lot of MVPs because, because you have two great players. It kind of splits it. That's why Shaq or Kobe doesn't get it by themselves because they were a tandem. And most people don't look at thinking, how can Kobe be the greatest of all time when he wasn't even, Put, he didn't even put up the best numbers on his own team. Put up great numbers, but he didn't put up the best numbers. How could he be the GOAT and Shaq had better numbers than him? Well, it's one, it's for, for me, Kobe Bryant is the reason why I fell in love with basketball. No, I no I'm telling you this. And so I'm, I'm telling you, for, for me, when... When I look at it, when it comes to the when it comes to saying that he didn't have the best he didn't have the best numbers on the team, it was yeah because he was playing he was playing with Shaq, but it was playing with Shaq. But I feel like also at his position he put up the best numbers. No, but that but he on that team Shaq was the most dominating player, and then when Shaq left, do you remember the years that followed that? I mean, yeah, the next year, the year that the year after Shaq left, Kobe got hurt. That, okay, that year, and they missed that, the playoffs. There were, there were bad years. Kobe didn't make the playoffs What his last four or five years in the league. Nobody wanted to play with him. I'm just saying, I, I, I'm not trying to rip down his career, but I don't think Kobe, honestly, is in the go con I don't know how you can look at Kobe and think he's better than Michael Jordan. I, I just find that hard to believe when you consider that until Pau Gasol showed up, he wasn't winning anything. Well, I mean, you can have that argument about Jordan until Scotty showed up. He didn't win anything. No, but that but the difference is he was there already. He had won. I'm talking about Kobe with Shaq, and then when he took over by himself, there wasn't it. You didn't. You don't have that with Scotty Pippen. Scotty Pippen wasn't a top drafted player like Kobe and Shaq were. It's not the same thing. Scotty Pippen came out of like a lower Division One school. He wasn't. He didn't play at a major college. He wasn't that kind of player, but he but he was the but he was the he was the second best player on the team. No, but but he but see here's the problem I got with that is that you guys all think that that's oh oh well well Jordan didn't win it tomorrow. Jordan was going up against the the the, the Celtics that had three four Hall of Famers, the Pistons that were a great team. Okay, and and the other part is. Uh, if Scottie Pippen was that instrumental and, and as equal to Michael Jordan, how come he never won a Finals MVP? No, because Jordan was the best player. Right. Yeah, we're not saying I'm not I'm not saying that Jordan wasn't the best player on the team. That that's obvious. We we know that. But what what I'm getting at is is that the couple years Kobe didn't have Jordan had a number two. Kobe didn't have a number two during them years. Yeah, but my only issue to you is. If you want, you were saying he no, had. My, my more, to you is yeah. Kobe and Shaq. Kobe and Shaq on a higher plateau than than Jordan and Pippen. 
Okay. You want to go with that? Yes, I agree with that. And, well, that's what I'm saying. So, so, so Kobe, Kobe had Shaq. That's what I'm saying. That that's the reason why you can't separate and say Kobe was the greatest of all time. How? If those if those guys were on par and Shaq had the better numbers during that during that time, I don't know how you could even. If you had to pick one of the two guys, you would have to pick Shaq. And Shaq's not the greatest player of all time. Neither is Kobe. Uh, I just when when I look at Kobe and when I just look at the game, like Kobe, I get that. You, Kobe's the one who made you love, fall in love with basketball, but that don't mean he's the greatest of all time. When I when I when I just see the time he quit on the team against the Suns, they were up three to one, mm-hmm. and he stopped shooting. You remember he quit? Did he quit? Yeah, he quit. Okay, he's the greatest of all time. A guy who quit on his team during a playoff—that was a bad look for Kobe. When I, when I when I look at Kobe, when I seen when I watched Kobe, and growing up, what's so funny is is also, is that growing up, when I first got into basketball, <laughs> I and it was, uh, my favorite player when I first started watching basketball as a kid was Lindsey Hunter. Okay, yeah, I like <laughs> that was that was I don't know what it was about Lindsey, but Lindsey was my guy, and going in and going from Lindsey, I became an Eddie Jones fan, and then. That dunk contest that Kobe won, I said, "Oh my God, this is the best player I've ever seen in my life." But just watching him, just the way that the way that Kobe went at the game and watching him play, I have never seen nobody ever play like that ever in my life. I never, and, and I didn't see tons of Jordan games. I didn't see tons of LeBron games. Tons of them. Nobody I have seen with a basketball can do the things that Kobe Bryant can do. Ever, I have ever seen in the game in in the, in the NBA game. For the, so that so for me, and when it comes down to the individual skills and the way that he played when, when I watch, I just don't. That's the reason why he's the greatest player to me of all time. And we can nitpick at we can go at numbers. We can we can nitpick and everything, but just watching him as a just from my eyes, I have never seen nobody play attack the game like him. I hear you. I just I don't I don't think he's I don't even think he's in the top five. I, I think Kobe's probably in the second five. I, I, there's other players. Kareem. I, if I had to take my top three, I don't know Kareem. I, how do you not have Kareem up there above him? Kareem was the all-time leading scorer until two weeks ago, and Kareem won five. Uh, what did he win? Five or five championships. Five championships, six MVPs. Six MVPs. I mean, how is he not? If you if you go. MJ, LeBron, Kareem has to be there. Magic's got to be in the top five. Who we went to nine finals and won five? You got to think about Larry Bird, who won three MVPs in a row. I mean, those, those would be the players in my top five. Well, I'm not saying they're not in my top five. It's just Kobe's number one, and everybody else falls in line. Okay. Two, 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 two to five. You know, you can put them in any order after that. But um. But yeah, like I said, that's one of the things we 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 gonna disagree on. I know that we are. We, we will never get we will never get together. <laughs> but uh, th- this this morning, I was watching. Uh, you was doing an interview with uh, Doug Gottlieb. I was so bothered by the interview, and I felt like listening to you. You were holding back. Because I felt like you really wanted to go deeper 
into the conversation. But why do you feel, because I'm not even just going directly with him, but why do you feel like there's a lot of people that have what we consider white privilege? Feel the type of, feel that 100% stint about the uh, is about the racism thing when it comes to jobs and just racism period in this country because some people don't want to deal with or be honest about it and that's what i said to doug from the very first thing if you can't acknowledge that there's a race problem then we don't even have a we can't have a conversation okay there, there would be no rooney rule if if there were no issues of race right where owners are forced to interview black uh candidates at one time, there would be like eight job openings in the NFL and no black candidates would be interviewed. That's why the Rooney Rule is there. So that's what an issue I had with Doug. I just, I tried to have a conversation with the guy. I know it gets heated. So a lot of people listen to it and, you know, but, but I mean, I don't want to, I'm not going to go crazy and go berserk and act like some maniac, but I wanted to make my points and get across that there is an issue. And, uh, you know, as I said to him, you know, I've never met a white person who ever said that they didn't get the job because they're no good. They always say, oh, because they need to hire a woman or they need to hire a minority. That's their excuse so that they can go back and tell their family and friends why they didn't get the Why didn't you get the job? Oh, well, you know, they got minority hired. See what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a cop out. It's a crutch. That's what they say. They go to the family barbecue. Oh, yeah, I was up for a job. How come you didn't get it? Well, you know they got to hire minorities and women. Oh, yeah, you know. So there's a so that stigma kind of gets out there, and then everybody thinks that if you're black and you got the job, the only reason they hired you was because they needed to fill some quota or make good on something because people have been denied. A lot of it is bogus and BS. Just a, just a cop-out and an excuse for marginal or mediocre white guys to use when they don't get the job. Yeah, because I feel like when, because, you know, I'm a, I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan. And so last year, when we fired our coach and we were on the coaching search and we hired the, uh, the GM, the black GM, it's a shame that I already knew when they hired the black GM, they were not going to hire a black coach. I, I really, I, it's a, even if, even if internally that wasn't the, the reason why, but it's a shame that I even have to feel that way. Right. Is, is that you can't have both because I really wanted a, I really wanted a black coach last year. I really, I really did. I wanted. We, well, we saw that in Detroit, Jim Caldwell and, uh, and, and, they, and Martin Mayhew was a black GM. They had both. Mm-hmm. It's happened. But you seen Jim Caldwell didn't last that long either. No, I know. Well, but that's because uh, Martin Mayhew got fired, and they brought in Bob Quinn from the Patriots, who hired Matt Patricia from the Patriots. So that mm-hmm. kind of stuff goes on. Friends, cronyism, nepotism—it's bad in the NFL. But I'm saying, but they have had situations where you have a black coach and a black general manager. Not often, but it has yeah. happened. And so when so when they when they hired Kevin O'Connell, I was. I was like, okay, you know, let's see what he can do. But going into the situation with Eric the uh, enemy, I'm, I'm just don't understand. I just don't understand why 
is so much of a of a thing with him because it has to be something. I, I I feel like race plays a part, but I gotta feel like it's something deeper of why he's not even getting the opportunity to even try with some of these with some of these stiffs that didn't got head coaching jobs that didn't deserve it. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think race and the history of this country and the NFL. Remember, the first black coach was hired in 1989, not 1889. 1989. Think about that. That all—that's all you need to know. How long it took to hire a black coach? The first black manager in baseball was 1973. Okay, mm-hmm. 1989 is ridiculous. Art Shell with the Raiders. But my point is. Uh, that I agree. There's got to be some other. Maybe he's a terrible interviewer. Maybe he comes across wrong where people don't warm up to him or whatever. Because there's a lot of factors that go into it. But the idea that they're telling him he needs to learn play call plays when other guys have gotten jobs by not calling plays. I think that's the part that's hypocritical because other people have gotten jobs and have not called plays. So why would he need to go to call plays to to satisfy what you can't keep moving the, the goalposts? Mm-hmm. And that's the part that I don't like about the NFL. All right. So, um, so also, you know, with a lot of people, you know, so just to let a lot of people know, Rob, you know, uh, over the past year has been uh, testing his skills on that stand-up stage, and has and has had some good performances out there. Which one? Which one of these three do you enjoy more? It was Sport. the first one. And not that uh, the one I did in Detroit was awesome because I was able to do it in front of a lot of family and friends who came to town for the big uh, barbershop anniversary mm-hmm. party. So that was awesome to be on the stage in Detroit and do it. But the first one, you're in Hollywood, you know what I mean? And you're in a, 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 a famed comic, comedy club that a lot of people performed in the belly room, right? Mm-hmm. Was it the comedy store? Yep. Uh, and... And the reaction I got was incredible. I mean, you know, they were laughing from Jump Street. The first joke out of my mouth, they laughed. And I think that made me relax and be like, okay, <laughs> they get me. You know, it wasn't like it was dead silence, the first two or three jokes. And I'm like, oh, my God, what am I doing up here? I got such a big laugh on my very first joke ever that I was like, okay. Uh-huh. You know, Chris Broussard been pushing me because I'm always trying to tell jokes on the radio show. Right. Yeah. On Fox Sports Radio, so he thought I would get up there and freeze, and I wouldn't be able to perform in front of a. Despite I'm performing on live radio every day, but I don't think he thought I would be able to do the same uh, on on a stage. A stage, yeah. yeah. And uh, I enjoy it. I'm gonna do more of it. Uh, so it's just a busy time right now, but I'm gonna eventually yeah. uh, make it. I want to make a little tour around the mid Midwest this summer. Cleveland, Cincinnati, mm-hmm. Detroit, Chicago, St. Louis, and do a five-city stop. You know what I mean? And okay. Do, and, do a, and do a performance. I think I want to do something like that. So let me ask you this. So sports talk, writing, or stand-up, which one would you pick? Which one do you enjoy more? writer by trait. I mean, I'm a writer. That's what mm-hmm. I am. When people ask me what I do for a living, I usually say I'm a sports writer. Um, so I'm going to say I'm a writer. Okay. 
So, uh, I mean, I was a broadcaster, but I, I, I'm a writer. I'm growing up as a nine-year-old kid in New York. My dream was to be a sports writer for a daily newspaper. That was the only thing I dreamt about, not being on TV, not being on the radio, not being on stage. That was the only thing I wanted. When, when I got that job and I started working in New York at 22 years old, none of my friends were surprised. All of them said the same thing. They looked at me and they said, that's all you've been talking about since you were nine years old. <laughs> that's crazy. So, uh, so Rob, what's, so what you got, uh, what you got coming up that you want, want people to know about? Well, my, my website, MLBbro.com, where we cover black and brown baseball players. Just a tremendous site. I have 58 people on staff. We cover all the black players, black and brown, and we mean players mixed black with something else or what we consider brown. Uh, and uh, this is year number three for us. It's a tremendous site. It's no site like it. Very unique in the way we present stuff and the videos we do on social media and the stories we write. Um, it's starting to catch on and get bigger and bigger. So I'm thrilled about it. Started it again three years ago. This will be our third season coming up. And uh, please give us a, a look. MLBbro.com Alright. And you can also catch Rob on Fox Sports at, with the odd couple. That's right. Monday through Friday, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern, 4 to 7 Pacific. Uh, me and Chris Broussard every night, five nights a week. Uh, it's fun, informative. It's a fun show. And sometimes we get at it, at each other, but it's good. It's a good listen. It's fun. Yeah. All right, Rob. Thanks for coming on. And everybody, you know, this is another episode with your boy Brandon Jordan. And uh, catch y'all next time. All right, Brandon. Thank you. No, thank you.